we get to talk about things that really matter, things that ultimately we get to talk about. Like that's our job. Like yeah. we, most people, they, they try to squeeze it in in the midst of being a banker or a plumber or something. We get to talk about this stuff. Well, welcome to Preacher Lab. This is season two, episode two. And uh, I have the honor and the privilege of talking with James Howell, who is the pastor of Myers Park United Methodist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. James, thanks for joining me today. Oh, man, Will, it's uh, fun to spend some time with you. Well, we're going to start off. What are you preaching on this week? Where are you headed? Where are you going? Oh, man, this week, last week and this week, I've had a hard time wrestling this thing to the ground. And my personal self-discipline is I got to finish by Thursday supper time. So like it, it's soon. Uh, yeah. So, you know, so it's Christ the King and I, I want to talk about that. Although I always worry that, you know, clergy worry more about high holy days and what season it is. I think my people who come, they don't know if it's lunch or epiphany or ordinary, <laughs> they're just coming to church. But anyway, but it is Christ the King, but it's also a Thanksgiving theme. People are kind of leaning into Thanksgiving. So I'm trying to figure out how to connect those. I want to talk somehow about kind of what gratitude is and then wondering if we have good cause to be grateful for the kind of God that we have. So if Christ is the King, he's not a king like whoever, worldly kings. He's a you know, Pilate says, are you king? And he's going he's to know what to make of Jesus, right? So, you know, and how is Jesus different? You know, he's he's humble, he's lowly. We're about to go into Advent. You know, this king comes as a vulnerable infant. So, so I, you know, I want to begin to talk about that. You know, what, what does that mean? And, you know, of course, medieval art, they, they had Jesus as an infant, but he's wearing a crown, holding a sword or whatever. It's like we... It's hard for us to imagine God being weak, vulnerable, dependent, but but that's that's the story, right? That's a different kind of kingship. It's not lording over. It's kind of what do you call it? lording under? Um, so I want to kind of you know play with that and figure out you know how to talk about that. You know, the, I, it's, I'm using the Colossians one text, which bends over backwards to say like Christ is amazing like the whole world is for him by him and so on which uh i'll probably mention that that debunks sort of the da vinci code thing you know where it's like oh constantine hoisted this on people later colossians early on cannot say greater things about jesus but but if he is the image of the invisible god if he is all those things colossians says then what does that look like and he's not the big potentate he doesn't have a big sword and a crown He's like a child, small, yeah. humble. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. I was looking, I mean, I'm preaching on the same thing, and I was looking at art that just I just typed in Christ the King in just a Google image search. And all of oh, them have cool. all of them have Jesus with like a crown or with a scepter sitting on a throne. And like yeah. there's no there's no picture of Jesus as like as Christ the King, as like the king that he's he's talking about. We've got, I don't know whether to do this or not. So in my church, we have a stained glass window. It's at the back, not at the front, but it's big. And it's of Christ the King. So it's Jesus. He's got a regal red robe. He's got a crown with the white rays coming out yeah. of it. There's <laughs> <laughs> something. And under it, it has a caption. I'd never noticed it before. And it says, I am the king of the world. Ooh. Jesus never said that. You know who said that? 
I had to Google it. Leonardo God. DiCaprio in Titanic. He gets out <laughs> up on the brow yeah. of the ship and he yeah. gets his arms out. That's kind of Christ-like. He says, I am the king of the world. I don't know what I'm going to do with that, but something. <laughs> I mean, you could reenact it and you could be Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, Lord. Mercy. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. so, so you're preaching on Christ the king. Do you normally follow lectionary? And you said your church members don't really know what it is. Or I mean, well, some do. I, I try to. It helps our musicians. It helps our clergy. It, I, I think unwittingly people who come often, that's not everybody, but the people who come often, I think unwittingly, they, they kind of track a pace to the year. You know, there's something in it, I think, that works for people. Even if on a given Sunday, if they were driving there, you say, is it Lent or Epiphany? They'd have no idea. Mm-hmm. But I think it's still good for them. So, yeah, so we, we try to observe the season, although every week it's very important to me to preach. I try to remember uh, there's going to be somebody there who they've never been in our church before, and some of them have never been in a church before. Now, that sounds fictional, except at our place, that's actually true. Any given Sunday, there are people we don't know. And some of them, lo and behold, they have never been in church. Or they were last in church 25 years ago. They got burned by the church. Church was mean to them. Church was boring. Church was whatever. And they're kind of dipping their toe back in. So I don't I don't want to spend too much time on what's the fourth Sunday to Lent and the theological nuance of that is something. Yeah, I've got to say something that's going to matter for that person. Yeah, but then right. also matter for the church veteran who's been there every Sunday for the last 47 years. It's hard. It's hard. Preaching yeah. hard. So I hear you saying like, you know, you honor the 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 movement of the Christian year, Advent and yeah. Lent, but you also want to say something that's happening in, in our in our world, what's happening at our time, like elections yeah. or <laughs> war or whatnot. COVID. Something. Yeah, co- yeah. yeah. You hope so. Yeah. yeah. So it's, as we're recording this, it's Thursday afternoon. It's two twelve. Mm-hmm. What is your process for writing Christ the King sermon this week? Well, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't write, so there aren't complete. I'll have one or two complete sentences in every sermon. I always think there's some there's some sentence I want to get right, right? But the others they don't matter. They kind of I kind of chatter. Doesn't matter. So anyway, so I don't have a manuscript. I've got sort of a game plan, sort of notes in front of me, although I don't look at them much. By the time I stand up, I, mean, I kind of know what I want to say. The old uh, uh, David Buttrick book called Homiletic, he talks about moves. You know, there are moves in a sermon. So this sermon, I may have a move about, you know, what is gratitude? A move about Leonardo DiCaprio, a move about Christ not having a big crown, but being an infant. There, there are only three or four of those. And I can track this in my head pretty well and know what I want to say. I, I start on all this way, way ahead of time in different ways. Uh, so I don't start this week for this week's sermon. I used to, but I, I don't anymore. Part of that, there are two reasons. One is I have musicians. They want to know what I'm going to say two or three months ahead of time. Now, I haven't written the whole sermon, but I need to kind of, here's my basic direction, because then they go pick anthems. All, all that stuff to go with it, which is good. That helps the sermon look better, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it helps the worshiper's experience to go better, you know, and, and sometimes they come out of church and they go, I, I know you probably didn't notice this, but that thing you said, like that was the same thing the choir sang in that. And I always just say, really? You know, yeah. Uh, so that's a great thing. I also write a preaching blog 
um, that uh, you know a few thousand preachers seem to consult. So and I try to say four months ahead of time. So four months ahead of time, I've looked at text and I've kind of said, you know, here's some kind of basic ways we could go at this. So by the time the beginning of the week comes, I've got, I've got kind of a basic idea, and then I try to flesh it out. This week's been a struggle. You know, what I fleshed out by Wednesday morning, I thought, oh, it, I mean, it's okay. It's true stuff about God, but I just wasn't happy. It wouldn't move me, so I'm not sure it would move anybody else. And I kind of shifted in another direction. You know, I thought about the DiCaprio thing. I mean, that's silly. But to kind of re-ask the question about, you know, what what is a what is a king? What 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 is that? We're about to see a new king in England. We haven't seen that in my lifetime. You know, a lot of, mostly the world has cynicism about that. And, and anyway, so I'm I'm kind of rethinking that here the last couple of days. But yeah, yeah. I'm how did away. how did you did you always do it that way, or did you used to write a full manuscript, or is it something you've learned through time? Uh, so my first. Four years in ministry, I wrote out a manuscript, and I think they were pretty good theological treatises. I don't think they were very good sermons. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like I was reading yeah. Yeah. this treatise to people, and I couldn't look at them much. And when I used to teach preaching, you know, I said, if you have a manuscript, sometimes I see people, they're trying to pretend they don't have one. Everybody knows they have one, but they kind of become this bobbing head. Like they look up, they look down. And what happens with the bobbing head is you look up and down at the wrong time, right? You look down when you're about to go to a transition. But in a conversation with people, you look up when there's a transition. Like if I'm going to say, Lisa, I really love you. I hope you'll marry me. That's not a good time to be looking down at what's next. I've got to be looking her in the eye. So with a sermon, if I'm going to say something that matters, I got to be looking up, but then I can't be worried about what's next. Anyway, one Sunday, uh, this was so weird. I, uh, for whatever reason, I memorized, I thought I could do this. I memorized my sermon and I got out of the pulpit. And people were like, oh, you made that up on the spot. And I was like, oh, no, I worked harder than I've ever worked. But it was magical in that people saw me. I saw them. I saw them nodding. I saw them looking bored, I said, whatever. Uh, so for me, that's pretty important. I want to look at people. Um, I play off people. If they're kind of dead, I, I die. Uh, if they're nodding, I get energized. If they have scrunched up eyebrows, I really get energized. You know, <laughs> it's an interactive thing. They're not saying anything, but it, it's totally interactive. Do people lean forward? Do they lean back? Are they grimacing? Is there a tear? You know, yeah. yeah. I try to say something every Sunday that might make somebody cry. <laughs> I'm sure they love that. Yeah. So... When I've watched you preach, I, I've seen you only preach behind the pulpit. Um, do you move out of the pulpit, or is that an expectation, or do you feel like you can connect with people when you're in the pulpit as you're not reading it? Uh, I So in this church, I primarily stay in the pulpit. I move once in a while, and what happens here, now when I was in my previous church, I could walk around, though. it kind of became a normal thing. Here, we got cameras, we got all the stuff that's going on. So that's uh, challenging. The other thing is when I come out, it becomes a distraction. People say, oh, wow, he walked out and didn't have any. No they, they start doing that instead of attending to what I'm saying. 
So if I stay in the pulpit, the camera people are happy. The sound works. If I walk down, the sound in our sound system, it doesn't work very well. But also, you don't have the distraction of, oh, he's amazing. Look at him walking around. Yeah. That's just so, weird. But in this church, that's a thing. Is that, would that be your, so if if you had no problems with sound, would you go, and no problems with distractions, would your natural inclination to be out of the pulpit? Or would it be, uh, or would it depend? I like, I, I don't know. It depends. I like moving around. We, we we have four services, and one of them, there's not a pulpit. There's just like a little stand to hold your notes. And I tend to pace there. I'll walk inside. I try to do it intentionally. Like I noticed a few weeks ago, I was talking about repentance. And I said, you know, in the Old Testament, repentance means to make a 180-degree turn. I didn't plan it ahead of time, but I felt my body, I was walking in one direction as I said it, and I turned around and walked the other. So they saw me do what I was talking about, if yeah. you know what I mean. So sometimes that kind of thing happens. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. Yeah. Do you I don't want mind staying behind the pulpit? You know, if you it's not it can be hiding. You can hang on to the thing for dear life. <laughs> it also has a a little um I think back in the day, it, it connoted a little bit of authority. That's not the right word. But it was like a, a visible symbol of this is where God's word is spoken. It's like we have a table and we say, that's where the Lord's meal happens. We have a font. That's where the grace comes down on, the, you know. So the pulpit has a, a similar kind of, uh, it can function. At the end of the day, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to win or lose somebody based on did I walk around or wave my arms right. It's kind of eye to eye, face to face communication. Yeah. Yeah. And I said to Lisa, I love you. Will you marry me? If I'd been walking around, I, I think I, you got to be still for that kind of thing, right? And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be facing the opposite direction of her. <laughs> oh, by the way. <laughs> so when when you rehearse your, I mean, what does that rehearsal time look like? So you don't have a manuscript. You've got kind of notes or what did you call the movements or yeah. Do you do you work on them like, like a comedian in bits? Do you work on them like as a whole? Do you stand in that particular pulpit and preach it? What is what does that look like? Uh, I hate to confess, I don't I don't rehearse much. I used to, and I think it helped me when I did. I mean, at this point, I'm I'm in year twenty at this church. I you know I know what that piece of furniture feels like. Yeah. I know what the room is like. Uh, if I go somewhere else to preach, I want a little bit of time to like just stand in that pulpit. You know, what, what does it feel like? How big is it? How far is the paper from you? How where is the microphone? How wide is the room? Where do people actually see? You know, to, to kind of size up the space. But at this point, I don't really rehearse. I you know, when I finish it on Thursday, I'm pretty much done with it until Sunday morning, and I print out that piece of paper that I have, and I circle things and make some arrows, and occasionally. X something out that I go, eh, nix it. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. So do you are you like thinking about it in your head when you're driving to church? Are you are is it it's Thursday's been done and you're like, okay, this is what's going on Sunday? Uh yeah, Thursday I'm pretty much done. So sometimes something happens, you know. I mean, you know, most markedly we had the mother Emmanuel shootings. 
that happened after Thursday supper time. So I had to, that was a total redo, of course. Or just something happens in the world or there's a ball game or something that's noteworthy and it, you know, it finds its way into the sermon. Or I just think of something better, but but I'm not really working on it. I don't really change what's on that piece of paper. I don't think about it on the way to church. On the way to church, I, I listen to audiobooks or <laughs> music or I don't want to obsess on it too much. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I should more. So you've been there for 20 years. How have you seen your preaching change over that time in this? I mean, I don't know. It probably isn't. It's not the same congregation, but it's the same space, or is it? Uh, it's the same space. It's certainly a different congregation. I mean, we're larger, we're younger, people have died, new people have come, all that. Um, so you have that the world more importantly has changed. I've changed. I mean, I came here, I was a guy in my mid forties. I'm 67 years old now. Um, but more importantly, the world has changed. The culture's changed. You know, we live in a war. There was political rancor before, but now it's like, it's like, uh, it's mind numbing. Um, there's more, uh, heightened, fear now there's more skepticism about religion now cynicism about it so so a lot of those things have changed and i try to try to keep my finger on the pulse of people yeah yeah so so your knowledge of the war i mean your knowledge of the world has impacted what you say how you say it um i mean yeah. Yeah, and I've I never uh, I'm not criticizing anybody who does this. So I know my father-in-law, for instance, he's a retired pastor, ninety-two years old. So he, we inherited his old sermons, like boxes and boxes of these, and they're they're wonders, right? But what he would do in one church, he would preach on whatever John fourteen. When he go to the new church, he would pull out that sermon and dust it off and preach it again with a couple of emendations. I have never kept a sermon. I just I know if I had an old sermon, it would just I don't know, it it feels stale. It'd be like oh, there's a fossil that he just retrieved. So <laughs> I start I, so I'm fresh. I don't know if it's fresh to me. It's fresh every year. Yeah. Um, I've repeated a few stories and such illustrations, of course, but yeah, yeah. So you said you have you have four different services. We have four. Mm -hmm. How does how does your preaching change in each service? And I know you said one is there's no pulpit. How, how do you kind of change? How does the sermon, does it change much? Does it shift? Does it like, if you do say one story and you're like, that didn't work, you just get rid of it and the rest of the next three? Yeah, well, well, well uh, that's hard. My musicians kind of laugh about it, how it evolves <laughs> over time. And they, hopefully, they pay attention and like, ah, he didn't say that last summer. Why did he leave out so uh, a lot of times, uh, I, so I play off the people in the room. The hard part about that at our place is our early service is our smallest. It is our least energetic. Something's just wrong with the people who attended 830. <laughs> because, because I will say something, I know it's funny, and they just don't laugh. And then I, I do have to decide, like, okay, that's just not funny. Don't use it again. Or eh, they're a little sour at eight thirty. Let me try it again at nine forty-five. So th that that's hard to tell. Sometimes in the moment of preaching, 
uh, since it's not a literal manuscript, my brain will make some connection to something else. Sometimes it's not so good. I did that last week. In the moment, I connected to something like, oh, that was a false. I shouldn't have chased that rabbit. Uh, but other times, something will dawn, and I'll realize, oh, yeah. And I'll say something else, and it works better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, feeding off the room. I mean, it's a big thing. Who's nodding? Who's not? Why? Sometimes I'll catch the eye of someone. I know uh, his wife died Thursday, and there he is. And it uh, it it does it alters the tone more than the content. You know, let's yeah. say I've got one of these fiery. We need to go out and serve God. We're not doing enough. If I look at him, like I calm down a little. I just not that I don't say it, but you got to be gentle uh, with a guy like that. Yeah. I mean, I think about there's a person in my church who was just diagnosed with leukemia. And as I'm preaching, I see him and his wife and like, Mm. what I'm saying, the words don't change, but the way in which I connect with them and emote, it just, so you, do you feel like your preaching is driven a good bit by the relationship that you have with people, knowing their stories, knowing what they're going through, kind of hearing where they're at? Yeah. 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 I mean, I have 5,000 people. Right. So my first yeah. church, I had 50 people and I knew them all. I knew, unless they just were super shy, I knew their stories and lives and what was going on. Here, I don't know them as well. Uh, the, the one thing I'm sure of is if I'm attentive to what 10 people tell me about themselves, and if I'm a reader, and if I'm paying attention just to the world, I'm going to know what everybody else is thinking and feeling, right? So if I say just anything like, uh, if I I could just say the word anxious, just, just, I just anxious, I could, I could, like, people almost start sobbing. Just because I said the word, could they know? They're riddled by it. They didn't sleep the night before because of because they were anxious, right? And so you just try to speak to the common human condition, even to people that you don't know. And I've had people coming out of church that I don't recall their name. I've never had a private conversation with them. And they'll say, "You, when you preach, I feel like you've been reading my diary. And yeah. I say, I did get a peek at it. And I directed this just for you. <laughs> Thank you for letting me have a peek. <laughs> but there are, people are people, and mm. you know, in a given room, there's just a wide range. Somebody's you know chipper in a happy mood that day, and somebody's miserable and almost didn't get out of bed, and somebody got a diagnosis this week, and somebody else got a new job this week. That's part mm. of that's what's hard. I think what's hard about you got to talk to all those people. If you could do one on one, you could parse it well, but you can't. And so, how do you talk to that variety of people i mean i find it to be hard you find it to be hard yeah i mean you have somebody that just got a new job a big promotion and right next to them is the person who was just diagnosed with leukemia yeah um and and speaking to both of them is just it's it is difficult it's very difficult um yeah There's there's something about love you know uh in teaching preaching i wrote a book about preaching and i I found this passage years ago in George Eliot's novel, Adam Bede, and it's about this frontier woman Methodist, of all things, preacher. And she's just outside 
and her preaching's amazing. I mean, the whole narrative, several pages, uh, it's a beautiful scene. But one of the lines is it says that her eyes appeared to be shedding love more than making observations. Oh, man. So Say I think that. about that all oh. the time. So oh. I'm somebody who I think I'm a smart guy. I'm a well-read guy. And so I think naturally people look at me, they think he is making very smart observations, right? I think I, I think I do that without trying. But do my eyes shed love? And so I just try to think a lot about, like, I love these people. During the pandemic, that became big. So we're just online. People are isolated. And I've always done this. But during the pandemic, I really poured it on. I said, I love you. I miss you. I, and it was like magic. And I wasn't doing it because it was magic. I love these people and I miss them. Yeah. Even some I want to strangle. That happens in your own family, <laughs> doesn't it? I have three children. There's one I want to strangle yesterday. I love her, you know. Anyhow, uh, so that's if yeah. you love people, it, it it changes everything. There's kind of a prophetic edge. Sometimes preacher, I did this for years. I'd be kind of pissed off at my people like, uh, and sign up. They're behind on their giving, whatever. And and that anger would peak out. Now I might have a text to go with it. I might have a theological nugget to go with it. But I was just kind of venting anger at people. I try to watch out for that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just I, I I know for me when I preach, like whatever's happening within me is going to come out regardless. Um, oh, whatever is going on in my own life. I mean, whether I love people, whether I'm upset at this one particular person, whether there's a situation with my family where I'm like I, I I disregard that or hold resentment, like even though if I'm not even talking about any of those topics, it like it's like intertwined with the words and the art yeah. of preaching. It's your body language, it's coming out of your pores, you know, your little, your body stiffens a little, you know, people pick up on that more than they don't realize they're picking up on it. They couldn't name it in a hundred years, but yeah. they do yeah. pick up on that. Yeah, you know, It's like, yeah. like your dog knows your mood. How does your dog know your mood? But they do, right? Little yeah. children, they, they sense these things. So certainly in preaching, that doesn't mean you have to be in a good mood all the time or happy all the time or any of that, but just to be attentive to it and how it impacts decisions about what to say and how to say it. And yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll ask, what do you think you're learning about preaching now as you've done this in, in the same place for 20 years, what are you learning about yourself and preaching now? Ooh, I mean, I just, it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard. And I struggle with it. And I, I'm glad. I used to think, oh, one day I want to think it's not hard and not struggle with it. I'm glad I struggle with it. I'm glad it's like, you know, it, we don't, what do you do? You deliver a sermon. Well, the word deliver is what you do when you have a baby, right? It's like, oh, you're trying to give birth to something. You deliver. It's painful, right? Uh, so, so that's a thing. Uh, trying to, it's so easy to um, pander, that's not the right word, to people, to say, so I went through, so years without admitting it to myself, uh, I preached for approval. I would never have said that. But truth be told, I was preaching and I wanted people to say, oh, wow, what a great 
creature, right? Right. Yeah. I wanted them to be pleased. I wanted them to be impressed, you know, whatever. And then I went through a phase where I got wiser and I said, okay, if I, I don't want to preach for what they think about it. I want to preach for what God thinks about it. Like, does God like this sermon? And I, I think that was a moment of maturity, but it, that still had an immaturity about it, right? And at some point, it, it's not about pleasing or not. I want God to be pleased, of course, but some of it's about connecting. It's being a bridge between God and people. They don't have too many of those, right? They they struggle with that. They They think there's not a bridge between themselves and God. But then they look at me and I talk and they think, maybe there's a bridge. Maybe there is a connection. So maybe in that they like me and they approve of me and they might say, oh, you're a good preacher. And I hope God is pleased. But I, I'm like trying to do that for people to kind of dig under the superficiality of their life, to think more deeply about things that matter. And it's hard because to do that, you feel like you have to, uh, people are so defensive uh, and they're so caught up in whatever, their political ideology, their chase for money, whatever it is that they're about. And so how do you, and I, what I work at now, harder than ever, is how do I get under that without blasting them away, yeah. offending them? You know, I could say, oh, you're so stupid for whatever reasons, or I could imply that. It's not helpful. So how do I co co convey to them, I'm your friend, uh, and there's something amazing that I want to show you. So so I, it's more like sort of being a, uh, I dated a girl when I was in school and her mother was a professional docent in an art museum. And if you're a docent, you're not a painter. You may not be able to paint, but you take people in an art museum and you point and you say, look at that. Yeah. And they point out some subtle part of the painting that you as a regular person would not have noticed. And it's magic when that happens. So, so I, I want to be that as a preacher you know, to take people and say, you know, there's this thing about God that is amazing. And, and will you let me tell you about it? And they're gen they're generally ready to hear about it. Yeah. Any oh, anyway, yeah. I try to work on those things. Yeah. More yeah. more than I ever have. Preaching as a docent. That, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. There's beautiful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Got a point to it. Yeah. Gosh, it's and I'm sure it's it's so it'd be so easy just to look at somebody and say, you know, you're wrong. Like, no, 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 you, you know, you spend all your time trying to find money. Like it, it's it'd be easy, but like you're trying to do the hard work of like just showing inviting people on a journey with their experience with God and trusting that the spirit will move in the midst of that. And do they do they trust me? I, I read something recently about and this isn't for preaching, this is any anybody who's a talker. Uh, it said something like people will give you, it's not long, I think it said 20 or 30 seconds to persuade them that you have something interesting to say. Yeah. Doesn't matter what the topic is. It could be a cooking class. It could be a news story. It doesn't matter. And so pretty soon you got to, people have to look at you and think, I think he has something. I think she has something special. If you work too much on do they think of me as somebody who has something special? You'll probably fail, right? Yeah. I think you have to believe I have, I do have something amazing. It's not me, but the stuff it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
and pretty soon people they'll they'll trust you and they'll go with you yeah. so much is about trust you know yeah. and and even as you were talking um i think we were talking beforehand like the thing that you're preaching on you have to find interesting you have to find compelling yeah. and if you don't find it compelling nobody else is i mean annie dillard wrote a book about writing it's called it's called something like the writing life it's not a very inventive title and she said it's a mistake to write and think what do other people want to read she says when you write you should write what you think is really interesting yeah and i've thought about that i, I do want to think what do people need to hear but on the whole i do talk about what i think is just super interesting about this text about god about faith in the world and i tell them about it yeah yeah i think that works well i mean the trust thing you're you're the new church right so you're still garnering people's trust yeah. you probably have a little but you'll get more over time and you build it in funny ways right you build it through how you conduct worship but then you build it through like people they talk right they'll say mm -hmm. he showed up when my mother died you know, or yeah. I asked him a hard question and he wasn't offended. He talked to me for a long, whatever. Um, and you just build that capital over time. I've been here 20 years. So I got a lot of yeah. capital built up. Yeah. Does Do you think that that trust, I don't want to say give you, freedom is not the right word, but does that give you more leeway to be more poignant with some of the things you share or... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you hope so. You know, we're you know, LGBTQ inclusion is it's like a big thing, uh, and I think um, I'm had one of my you know, best friend colleagues started at a new church. Oh, what was it? Three years ago now. So he walked in the door, and immediately they're like, "Where are you on LGBTQ?" And he's like, oh, I'm "Trying to be pastor to everybody." That was just a hard time. At the same time, I was in year seventeen. And so I could talk about it yeah. openly, but but I also by then knew knew how to talk about it in a way that maybe that maybe expressed love for people who aren't where I am. Yeah. yeah. Right. You can always talk about something and be right. It used to be very important to me to be right. I'm like a smart guy. I was an egghead in school. I got a PhD. I was a straight A student. So I was right. I was good at that. And it just it's so boring to be right <laughs> question is can i love can i keep my arms around somebody who thinks differently and you can if you love them so it's in your tone but in, anyway but yeah after 17 years i could say you know here's here's my take on this and here's why they might think i'm a blame fool <laughs> but you know we, we know him he's i don't agree with him but he's he's my pastor I don't know. I think that can happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you over time you begin to like be empathetic towards one another, understand one another, yeah. and and yeah, we can disagree, but we still love one. I mean, still that's what love I want from people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like if I if I want it, I ought to be able to give it. I would think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, are are there any other final thoughts for preachers who are listening to this that you'd want to share? I don't know. I you know, something that has surprised me. We, we were online before the pandemic, and then the pandemic was the pandemic. I keep being amazed. Uh, every every week, I hear from clergy who tune in to our service, 
And it's not just me. They like our music. They, you know, it's a lot of things they like. And so I, I never, I never, I used to never think about that. Like clergy need church, and it's hard to pull it off when you're you're the one up front, right? And then it becomes kind of incestuous. You know, you're only you hear your own thoughts. Those are the only thoughts mm-hmm. you hear. So when I taught preaching, and anytime I advise preachers, I say, you know, listen, don't don't read sermons. That's dumb. Uh, watch, and you can. There's a wealth of sermons online. Find some people and just watch them and find people who they do something different from what you do. They find something that gets in your nerves a little bit. They find anyway. So I think I think that's a big thing is to soak up other preaching. You know, sometimes you steal ideas, of course, or you try to mimic someone. But but it's more, you know, like getting fed yourself and it, it's it's a mistake to try to mimic somebody else. I know for a while I fell in love with Barbara Brown Taylor. I would read her sermons and I was just gaga, like, oh. So I thought, I want to be Barbara Brown Taylor. And I tried. I ain't Barbara Brown Taylor. And it didn't <laughs> it didn't go well. Like people look at me quizzically, like, why is he tall? Why is he talking that way? Like I'm trying to be Barbara Brown Taylor. <laughs> just be James, right? And anyway. Yeah. So that's a yeah. Um, I, I did the same thing with Rob Bell. I, I listened oh. to too much Rob Bell, and I'm like, I, I was developing the same mannerisms, whether it was intentional or not. I'm like, no, 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 no I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not him. And when I was young, I used to watch Steve Martin on Saturday Night Live, and I got albums of his. And pretty soon, I was becoming Steve Martin in the pulpit. I was like, hey, you know, today we have. And I thought, sound like a dang fool. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. Oh. Well, James, thank you. This is, this is, I was running notes on my computer as we're talking. Um, there's a lot here, uh, but thank you so much for your time. And Oh gosh, thank you. I'd love to interview the same way back and hear all your answers, all the same questions, but yeah, thank you for uh, talking with me and for doing this podcast and for your ministry there. I'm sure your people are really blessed by you and uh, fortunate to have somebody gifted and caring and passionate like you as their pastor. Thank you. Well, I've got one more question, ah. um, a final question. It's a quicker one, but what is the most impactful book you've read in the last six months? Book, children's book, commentary? Yeah, you told you told me you were going to ask that, mm-hmm. and I, 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 I don't know how to pick one. Yeah. Our, our our staff read Willie Jennings' commentary on Acts, which is just flat out. It's not like any other commentary. It's amazing. I read a book by, called Undelivered by Jeff Nussbaum. It's about political speeches that didn't get delivered. Like they were written, they were ready to go, but then like the world changed. It's fascinating. A look into how you write a speech, how it, why it matters, how you put the words together. Uh, and then another one by Cody Keenan called Grace. Cody Keenan was Barack Obama's chief speechwriter. So it narrates how he and Obama wrote some of the key speeches of his presidency, like the uh, eulogy at the Mother Emanuel funeral service. Uh, and I, he, he's brilliant, but then like, you're writing for Barack Obama. I mean, yeah. you're <laughs> kidding me. And it's just fascinating to look at what they intentionally worked on, you know, the emotion of it, the, what they were trying to get done with it. And preachers like we don't think through all those things so much. That was a really powerful, eye-opening book, made me miss Obama. Yeah. And his speech make, apart from politics, just the dude could talk. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so, so you are reading a lot of books about speaking and writing. 
Not not on purpose. I just read those two recently yeah. that were really stunning to yeah. me. I anyway, yeah. You know, the speech Kennedy was going to give later in the day when he was killed. And it's an amazing speech, and he didn't deliver it. Wow. But we've got it, and he analyzes it. And any things like that, it's just, you know. Gosh, oh, that sounds so interesting. Okay, yeah. we'll put it in the Amazon cart now. Undelivered. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thanks, Will. Appreciate it. 